Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch. And as always, I am grateful that you are tuning in to this podcast and you have made this your number one source for everything talent development, really to find your inspiration, motivation, education to help you up your game in talent development. And that is what we're all about with this podcast, the Talent Development Hot Seat, as well as the membership community I run, the Talent Development Think Tank, and all the content that I put out on social media, which is usually either about how to up your game in talent development or how to own your career and own your life, which of course is the name of my book. And so I appreciate you tuning in. I hope that you share this podcast with others. And I've got a great conversation for you today with Michelle Lau Torres, who has 18 years of experience in organizational development, learning and development, HR, and talent management for public businesses and NGOs across education, transportation, hospitality, and public safety industries. She has also worked in multiple continents, including Europe, Australia, Asia, and now North America. Michelle's current role is with the Austin Bergstrom International Airport, where she serves as the performance manager with scope over organizational and employee development, retention programs, performance systems, DEIB, and workforce planning. Michelle is a self-proclaimed people champion with a passion for culture transformation. Michelle is passionate about leadership, inclusion, innovation, and driving enterprise value through people, strategy, and implementation. And in this conversation, Michelle and I talk a lot about culture, defining culture, changing or updating or altering or culture or aligning to a strategy. We talk about innovation and how to create more of an innovative culture and how we can adapt to the different ways of working and all the things that have changed our working world 
because of COVID, not only just working remotely, but with vaccine policies and everything else. We dive into a whole bunch of topics around culture and change and innovation, and I'm excited for you to listen. I want to also mention that Michelle is a longtime member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. In fact, she came to our conference back in January of 2020 and then was a founding member when we launched our community back in June of 2020 and is regularly there engaging, contributing in our meetings, asking great questions and helping others. Like all of our members, we run a community of generous, like-minded, amazing, ambitious talent development professionals who are always showing up to help each other share challenges and best practices. And that is what we're all about. And if you don't have a community like that, and you're ready to up your game in talent development, then come join us. You can find all the information on our website, which is tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. All the information is there. And if you decide to sign up, use the code HOTSEAT for 10% off for being a podcast listener. And I do greatly appreciate you listening to this podcast and sharing and being part of our community at large. And now without further ado, here is my interview with Michelle Lau Torres all about culture. All right, I am joined now by Michelle Lau, who is an L&D consultant expert and currently serving as a performance manager at the Austin Bergstrom Airport in Austin, Texas. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. How are you? Uh, Fantastic. Michelle, I've been excited to get you on the podcast since we first connected and met, I don't know, something like two years ago, I think, sometime in 2019. I feel like you had reached out to me after listening to the podcast, right? I did. I reached out to you because I was listening to the podcast and I finally was able to go to your talent development think tank conference. And then it was closed and I was devastated. (laughs) And then uh, (laughs) I think I put in a a little, um, hey, let me know when the next one is on your website. Yeah. And then you reached out to me on LinkedIn and I wrote to you and I said, hey, best of luck. I've been following your podcast. I love what I'm hearing. I really hope this is going to be a terrific time for you doing this, uh, doing this conference. And then uh, you said, hey, do you want to call me and see if I can get you in? And I was like, absolutely, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And the rest is history. I forgot it sold out. And then um, yep. we ended up, uh, it ended up being postponed because of the wildfires and we were able to open up some more seats when we moved it and you came out and we got to meet and hang out in person and and get to know each other and I've just been really impressed with all your knowledge and the and the stuff that you know and do in the L&D space plus you're always just so fun and entertaining to talk with and of course you joined as one of the founding members of the talent development think tank community and we've gotten a chance to engage a bunch through the community conversations over the last year and a half that it's that it's been since we've been talking you know, throughout COVID, which has been some interesting times. It has been interesting times. And that that talent development think tank community has kept me sane, right? Like, I mean, just especially during COVID, I mean, kudos to you, right? Hats off to you for finding uh, an innovative way to keep us all connected and keep us all committed and keep the community going because it's been, it's been brilliant. It's been fantastic. Meeting new people within this space has, has been a dream come true, I would say, for a lot of us. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'd love to sit here and talk about me and the community, but <laughs> I, want to, <laughs> I want to talk about you, Michelle. Um, can you give us like, like a quick background on you know how you got into what you're doing and, and what you do today? So great question. So my background is actually in theater 
and directing. So I don't know if you ever heard of the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, which is in Liverpool, England. So as you might, I, I went to university in, in England. I'm from Northern Ireland. And uh, the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts was founded by a gentleman called Mark Featherstone Whitty. And he got his idea from, do you remember the, do you remember the, um, the program FAME? Right, FAME School? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you, Andy? No. So he he took he, he took it from fame and decided that he would actually build his own fame school. And so that is where I went to university. And so when I say I did business uh, business management, it was actually uh, called enterprise management at the time, and it was all about startups. And so uh, I I lead with that simply because when I went to college, when I went to university and, and got my degree, it was not your usual run-of-the-mill degree, right? I was surrounded by incredibly creative people. I was surrounded by people who were consistently in a project. It was very project-based and it got me into all things creative. It got me into being able to really look at an organization and, and how, it can, how it can start up and leverage people. And so how did I get into this stuff? It's, it's a mystery, right? I started off in uh, the hospitality industry. I was part of uh, the, the lead and management team within uh, bars and restaurants. And then I decided to move to Australia. And then I decided to move to Korea. I actually got into education when I lived in Korea because I took a job as an ESL. I took a position as an ESL um, teacher, an English language teacher. And I ended up being one of the people who who uh, one of the staff members who drove a lot of the policies and procedures for how the school should run as well as doing a lot of marketing to get people in to the school for the kids so when I came to America I met my husband in Korea and so when I came to the states I was kind of like well I don't know what to do now because I've got my degree in this I've got my background in this what am I going to do and so I ended up working in the training space, in the corporate training space. And that led me to really looking at human capital and expanding my role from being a trainer to uh, looking at, well, what is the, what, what does that look like in terms of the larger scope of development, right? Like not just here's how you come in and do your job, but then how do you grow? And that led me into performance and performance management, which uh, always has a, an impact on the human resources. So I ended up uh, working for, in the transportation, which is where I'm at now, public safety. And so it's been quite a, it's been quite a journey and it's been pretty unpredictable actually. Uh, so I kind of move among spaces of what moves me at the time. And, and right now, uh, human capital uh, really moves me right now. It's, it's fascinating. I didn't know about the stint in Korea and that you have, you know, grew up in Northern Ireland, going to school in, in England and working in Korea and Australia and now the US. Uh, mm -hmm. You really have a unique perspective, a kind of a worldly perspective, having worked in different places and looking at different cultures. And I know you take a special interest in culture and how organizations look at culture and define culture. Maybe we can start there because I know you've done some work in this space. You know, how do you think about culture, both from a, maybe an overall country type perspective, seeing how things are different and then how companies are able to define what their culture is? Well, if you've ever heard of the term culture shock, I mean, it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, 
countries have every country has their norms and i don't even think you realize what they are until you live in them for a little bit um i i have to say i loved working and living in korea because it was incredibly it was an incredibly safe place to to live and work especially as a woman uh that was you you felt safe in uh, i don't know how to rephrase that You, you felt i felt safe as a foreign woman in korea that's maybe not the case for if you are an actual Korean woman in Korea, but that's a different story. You learn a whole lot about the norms of a of a of a, a country and a community and and policies and and how how people work and navigate the workplace, especially as um, when you when you actually move into the country. My mom used to say to me, "Could you just go for a visit and stop moving in?" <laughs> because you never you go somewhere and you never leave. Right. Um. But but that, I mean, if you if you take that at a more nuclear level when you go into an organization uh the, the culture pops out really quickly i mean your, the culture organization pops out within a couple of days right the behaviors and the norms um maybe 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 not a couple of days might might sometimes be a couple of weeks depending on how entrenched you are in it and a lot of folks are boiled in their own in their own culture and to realize it um and i think that to to move that then to to tell how do you tell a lobster that's boiled that it's a boiled lobster, right? Yeah. I don't know. How do you? Well, you you, you don't. At, at some point, can can you or can you not save save it? I mean, that's that's one of the things that I I do as well as I consult on the side. And when I talk about uh, toxic toxic cultures in workplaces and how do you get there, a lot of the times you don't realize how how you get to be uh, within a toxic culture, right? Mm. You don't know you don't know all the little steps and missteps that got you to where you are. So it's really hard then to find out how do you, how do you fight your way out of it? Right. Because norms can be very powerful things and change in behavior is a very difficult thing to do. I don't know if you've ever read the book immunity to change, but it's a brain based, it's a brain based book on how, you know, you can, you can tell somebody if you don't stop smoking right now, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to die within, you know, X amount of months or whatever, and people won't stop smoking. And the question is, why, why will they not? Like changing the pattern of your brain is a very difficult thing to do. So yeah. changing the pattern of many people's brains to elicit a culture change can be a very difficult thing. Yeah, it's interesting. And you mentioned like the toxic culture, how that gets cre- created over time, right? It takes a while to get there. And then one day you look up like the lobster and you're like, oh, I'm in a boiling pot or I'm in you know, a toxic culture. And then it becomes very difficult to change, right? I mean, I when I was writing my book and I surveyed my network about the biggest career mistakes they've made, and I put together this report of the top five most common career mistakes, one of them was multiple people who said, I took a job knowing that it was the company had a bit of a toxic culture, but I thought I could change it. And yeah. I realized that I was wrong. I couldn't. And I ultimately had to leave. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's It's like, you know, if, if you look at my resume, I'm going to have on there, like I, I can, I'm a culture changer, right? I'm a, I can change culture. And the thing is, is that there's trace of that. I can, I can, I can drive the initiative to change culture, but at the end of the day, culture is everybody's responsibility. And unless it's a grassroots effort, it's really not going to change. And, and it's, it's not even necessarily going to change if it's only top down, right? It has to be top down and bottom up simultaneously. And so to, to drive that enthusiasm for change can be pretty difficult because by the time you're in a place that's toxic or even just low morale, that your movers and shakers are potentially already, you know, fairly disillusioned. <laughs> so yeah. how do you how do you 
how do you approach and, and, and make a promise that you're not, you're not exactly certain that you can keep, but you know that you can keep your promise for your own enthusiasm and drive to change something. So yeah. it can be a bit of a challenge to get people on board, get them uh, enthusiastic again. I mean, who wants to go to work and not be happy? Right. Everybody does, right? We, we all do. And yet so many people are partake in these cultures that are, you know, making them miserable. So we know like not one person cannot change everything, right? We also know that we have a lot of people in our network, you know, audience, our audience and community people we interact with who are in positions where they're often tasked with, hey, we need to implement these new values or shift the culture or, you know, get aligned to this new strategy. And I know you get involved a little bit in this work. How do we think about approaching this so that we can start to get an organization to shift in its culture and, and make changes if we look at it from a, say, a change management perspective? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because, because, because culture and strategy are inextricably linked together, right? It, you, you, can't, you cannot progress your strategy and have a successful strategy if you don't have a strong culture that's aligned with your, with your strategy. Likewise. If you don't have a strategy at all, the culture takes over. It's like you might have a great culture, but what are you actually there to accomplish? At the end of the day, people want to come into work and know that they're adding value. That, that doesn't change. It's one of the things, if you ever look about generations, um, you know, we have multiple generations in the workplace now, right? Gen Z's in. Uh, mm -hmm. We're still talking about millennials. Well, well Gen Z is a whole other category of, of yeah. fish, right? You've got Gen Z's and you've got baby boomers that are still are, that are still in the workplace. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what generation that what you know. We're all putting containers. Right? I like we're how, by the way, you completely skipped over Gen X, the forgotten generation. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm Gen X. Are you Gen X? <laughs> I'm on the cusp of X and <laughs> cusper, a zenial. I'm, I'm Gen X. I mean. We're, we're all here and we're all you know right. trying, trying to live our dreams but the, the thing is is that no matter no matter what generation you come from no matter what container you've been put in or what category you're in depending on the year you were born which is a whole different conversation right. the one thing that ties everybody together is that they want to know that their work is of value mm -hmm. that's it it doesn't matter if you are you know, 20 years old entering the workforce right now, or, or if you are 75 years old leaving the workforce right now, you want to know that you bring value to an organization. And, and that is one of, the, one of the things that I think that when we're looking at leadership and culture, we have to, we have to look at, I mean, leadership also drives culture, right? We have to look at what are we putting in place to ensure that our folks know that we're valuing what they bring and how do you increase the value? Yeah. For over three years now, the Talent Development Hot Seat Podcast has been proudly sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group provides creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish, and you to be more successful at your job. The Advantage website has great free resources, including this podcast and an amazing webinar series that include topics such as innovation, future storming, inclusion, sales, leadership, and so much more. To get access to all of our free resources, as well as overviews of the solutions that Advantage offers, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. It's, it's so important, right? It, it starts with that, that grassroots question, like, you know, are people, do people feel like they are 
valued? Do they feel like they're contributing? And how do we help people really feel like they are contributing and that they're part of something? And it goes back to, you know, work I did getting into the consulting space with BTS running business simulations. You know, the whole idea behind that is you can tell people all day long what the strategy is. You know, mm-hmm. the companies say, oh, we're shifting the strategy. Let's have a town hall meeting and let's let's announce this strategy and then everybody's going to go do it, right? But then they just go back to work. They don't really make any changes. People really need to experience it for themselves. You need to feel like they are part of it and they understand what's going on and why, the why behind, you know, the strategic moves and why they need to, to make some changes in in way they approach their job. And so that gets them a lot more involved. You also reminded me, I just recently interviewed my friend, Julie Winkle Giulioni about her new book she's working on called Promotions Are So Yesterday. And she did a bunch of research in that, interviewing people from different age groups about the things that they care about when it comes to their careers, you know, compared with moving up the corporate ladder and things like contribution and confidence and stuff like that. And across the board, contribution was number one for every age group, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s is what people cared the most about. And climbing the corporate ladder was actually near the bottom for most age groups in terms of like what people actually cared about. So, you know, the data showing exactly what you're talking about, that people want to feel like they're contributing, they're making a difference and they're appreciated for the work they're doing. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I think that's incredible. There's a wonderful infographic that I that I use a lot to to help people understand um, where where culture and strategy meet, right? And it's basically on one side it says strategy, and what is it? It is your it's your it's your vision, it's your goals, it's your KPIs, it's your tasks, your objectives. But then this other side of it is what is culture, and if strategy is your guiding force, then culture is your driving force, and your driving force comes from the people. So it comes from your culture and your behaviors and your norms and how you interact with policies as well, right? Like uh, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is uh, the, the connection between human resources and culture. Because at the end of the day, every organization is bound by a certain number of policies and procedures that they have to you know, take into consideration whatever space you're working in and how those are, how you lead the way through conduct and you know things like discipline and things like motivation and things like award it's really important in an organization as to how it's viewed then and where morale stands so um yeah i i would i would say that if you don't have a strong culture of under base the basic foundation of culture is understanding that you don't have an organization without people you don't have a business without people and they drive your bottom line Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at all the things that companies care about and you hear people talking about revenue and profits and financials and technology and, you know, all the different things that go into running an organization, but every single one of them comes down to people. People are behind everything that we do. And yet we forget sometimes that like, oh, people are making these decisions. We need to get people on board. They are humans. We need to create a culture where they feel included and appreciated and like they're contributing And part of that too, I know you look a lot at innovation and that's something that I'm fascinated by and and kind of passionate about as well. And and I've heard you say something to the effect of disruption is a major source of innovation. And what we're talking about now is how do we change these cultures? And sometimes you need some type of disruption to make that change. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how disruption tends to be this, this source for innovation. Well, I mean, just look around right now, 
right? This this pandemic. I mean, we we say post COVID, but it's, we're not post anything. It's still no. here. It's it's not. I don't know why we say post COVID at all. Uh, uh, but what I'll say, I mean, take a. I mean, th- this this fascinates me because I I agree. I think the disruption of what happened in the world forced all of us, uh, no matter what industry you were in, it forced a relook and a rethink and it forced us to be innovative and the question is like like define innovation right a new way of looking at something and a new way of doing something old um so your innovations don't have to be like groundbreaking go to the moon kind of stuff but look now you can get you can get wine right that can arrive at your door now didn't used to be like that you know it you that shit things like shipped and um and uh what's the point like instacart you know, mm-hmm. all of the, those different, they were, they were just trying their best to, to find their, their niche in a market by bringing groceries to your door. Now it's, now it's the norm, right? Like curbside is the norm. QR codes for a menu is the norm. Mm-hmm. We could not two and a half years ago have predicted this, uh, you know, at, at all. So right. companies that did not move with innovation are, are, are failing, right? Companies that didn't figure out a way to sur- survive and thrive are now uh, in, in, deep, in deep, deep trouble. And companies who didn't talk to their employees about the best ways to get through. I mean, do, do you, here, here's where I, I go. Do you think all the executives sat and came up with all the solutions to companies that are innovative, right? Like yeah. the, the only ones that were able to give their best thinking Right. And and that's where how do you how do you get the, your best thinking out of your people? And disruption is going to make you do that, because at some point, no matter how high you are up in the food chain, you have to look around and go, man, I need more than one brain on this. I need all the brains that I can get. And what does that look like? And I think that that opens the door. It opens the door for for think tanks. It opens the door for, you know, um, idea jams. It opens the door for bringing employees together to, to really think about what's a different way of looking at this? How can we frame, how can we reframe it and, and keep ourselves viable in a world right now that is full of uncertainty? Uh, so I love it. I think, I think disruption is, is the key. I think somebody coming in and, and you know, turning your house upside down and saying, how about, why is the living room the living room? Why can't it be the dining room? You sort of go, hmm, okay, let's take a look at what that might look like. Right. Starts with curiosity and the openness to let people ask questions and try different things. And I, I've studied innovation a lot. And you know, you see these companies that say, oh, we want more innovation, we want new ideas. But then there are people, you look at the culture and people feel like they're going to be punished if they try something and it doesn't work, right? And so they're afraid to try anything new. And you know, they don't new new ideas come and they eventually get disrupted, right? Whereas you want those ideas to come from people. You want them to feel comfortable. You want to create a culture where people feel comfortable trying new things. And sometimes we need something to disrupt us to really think about things in a new way. And COVID was that for many companies. You saw a lot of companies innovating and doing things in a new way. I've definitely done that. You know, with my business pivoting a lot of things, we just we started this conversation by talking about, you know, having a conference. And then, oh, COVID hit, we can't go to conference anymore. I'll start a membership community so that, you know, we can keep people connected. And you see a lot of organizations, as you mentioned, doing that and some that necessarily didn't necessarily do that. And now everybody's kind of catching up and, and riding the ship, but we're entering this, you know, this boom in our economy and what some people are calling the great resignation, which yeah. is that employees have options now, right? And if you're not providing 
that great culture and those growth opportunities, then you risk having a lot of attrition, right? With people going to look for other things and other, other opportunities. Absolutely. And the, the great resignation, I mean, is it a real thing? Possibly. Uh, I'm not too sure if everybody's resigning versus just not coming back to the workforce, right? Yeah. And, and saying, you know, um, our, our current, uh, you know, the, 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 the newest members into our workforce all are interested in being uh, innovative. They're interested in being their own bosses, being going into startups um and being entrepreneurs this is what this is what they want this so we're also just coming out of uh, you know back in what 2019 early 2020 we were talking about the gig economy workforce and what was that going to look like and what was that going to do for talent development what was it going to do for talent acquisition yeah and then you're and you were also dealing with you know the the millennial workforce the biggest thing that they they came they were coming right out of college and wanting to go straight into a leadership development program with with no extra experience right they were just like let's let's go let's move let you know let's hear me and so there's a lot of shift in the talent development field and and i think there's a lot of broad scoping that that we have to think about for talent development you know one of my one of the 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 things that I, I I look at a lot when when people talk about talent development, they think about training programs and that it begins and ends there, right? Developing your talent is simply a you know it's mm-hmm. it's a training program, and it's like there's a whole lot more to it than uh, a training putting together a training program. Training programs are very important, you know. Having sort of like career clinics are are very important. All of those things all all come together a little bit more than uh, I I want to be a trainer. Right and and develop talent. It, it's it's your compensation. It's how you bring in. It's it's the the culture that that you're formulating. It's the diversity and inclusion of your workforce. Uh, it's it's the behaviors of your of your workforce. And it's how do you keep them? And how do you spit out the people that you don't want to keep? Not everybody is a good fit. Not everybody's going to make it in your organization. I had I had some culture workshops recently, and uh, one of the one of the takeaways was the culture is what will spit you out. Right. And are we spitting mm. out the people we want to spit out, spit out? So when you take a look at who's leaving, the question is, are they the ones that you wanted to leave? Yeah. <laughs> are, are, are we are we keeping the employees that were like, they, I'm not sure they should be here versus yeah. the, the ones we really want to keep are the ones walking out the door. And the question is why? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's healthy to have some level of attrition. Right. You always plan to have some people leaving. But are you losing your best or are you losing your quote unquote worst, you know, the lower performers, like who's walking out the door. And if it's your, all your best, uh, you know, highest performing employees, it might be a problem and it might be something that you can do about that. And you were also talking about, we're talking about innovation. We're talking about culture. Another big thing that has become, you know, more noticeable and a bigger focus over the last year and a half has been on building a more inclusive culture, right? DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging has, you know, become more of a bigger thing since the rise of the social justice movement. And I know this is something that you've been looking at and, and spoken about creating more inclusive cultures. And, you know, during the social justice movement, we're talking a lot about race and gender and some other things. And I've heard you even speak recently about the need to think about this when it comes to vaccines as well, right? Because we've got a difference in, you know, opinions and how what different people want to do and their preferences and coming back to the office and who's vaccinated and who's not. Uh, mm-hmm. How do we approach these things and make sure we are building a more inclusive culture, which is so important to people these days? That's a great question. If you know the answer to that one, Andy, <laughs> <laughs> please share. I'm working I mean, on it. I, there, there's, I, I, 
I mean, that's a that is a loaded question with with there's so many angles to take on that question, Andy, honestly. Right. Uh, what I what I will say is what is the most important thing for your workspace as as an as an executive, uh, as a leader of an organization, or as a member of an organization, what is most important to you? And if your safety is the most important thing, it's going, your values is what's going to drive your decisions, mm. right? And the values of your leadership is what's going to drive those kinds of, of decisions. The other thing is money. Money is the greatest driver of all, right? Mm. It, it's like, we want, if we want other people to feel safe, then we're going to enforce a vaccination, right? If we want you to feel safe, then we're going to keep you home still if, if, you, if you can't uh, be vaccinated. Vaccinations aren't always about um, your values or your politics. Sometimes it's, it's about your health as well. And that, so that makes it really difficult to traverse, you know, is, is well, there, there are multiple reasons and some of them are real and some of them are not so real. Uh, so it's it's not an easy. I think it's not an easy decision to make, or to it's it's not something that's easy to plan around or lead around if you're not certain who you are as a leader or what your organization stands for as a company. Yeah, and I, what I'm hearing that I think is really important is that it starts with curiosity and empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Like talking to people, understanding where they're coming from, why they're doing the things they're doing, trying to empathize and understand where they're coming from. You may not necessarily agree and you may decide to create a policy or your company has a policy that is against what others are believing or what they're trying to do, but at least you start with understanding who they are and where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing. And then you can have more easier, have a conversation with them about how you can make things work versus just shutting people out or shutting people down and saying, you must do this or or else you're you're not working here anymore or that sort of thing, which maybe we're seeing in some places and other companies that are being a lot more open with, you know, not even just vaccines, but whether people come back to the office or not, right? Because we've seen companies that are saying, hey, it's time to come back to the office. We want you here all the time or three days a week, two days a week, whatever it may be. And mm -hmm. sometimes we're seeing employees push back and say, no, I don't want to come back to the office. And then you got to figure out how to make it work if you want to keep those employees. Yes. And I think, and this is just, you know, me talking here, uh, I think that when when you look at it from a lens of of equity and inclusion, it will change how you how you see some of those things, right? There there are people who who need to there are people who need to come into the office because they they have physical touch points with their work, whether it's with people or electronics or networks or buildings or, or facilities or whatever it might be. And then there's the folks who maybe, you know, your finance guys, um, maybe, uh, you know, your, your business systems guys mm -hmm. that, uh, and, and ladies that, that don't need to, to come in. And, and so I actually put out a, on LinkedIn, I put out this little survey that said, you know, why do you think, why do you think there's a holdup in, in the, the work from home policies with organizations? And, uh, fairness was one of my was one of my my questions right because i hear a lot about it's not it's not fair it's not fair for somebody in the workforce to be able to work from home versus somebody else mm. and and the other one was you know a lack of leadership and the lack of leadership is the one that came up first and then there was fairness then there was like i don't know how to and and you know the, and a lack of vision uh, sorry actually it was the vision it was the lack of vision that came up first that's what it was hmm. And I find that really interesting because it 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 tells me that people don't necessarily have a um, 
it tells me that people don't necessarily think that that their that their leaders are enthusiastic about the future necessarily right like if you if if there's leadership and then there's having a vision. There was some conversation as well as to whether or not those two things were interconnected. But think about, you have kids, Andy, right? Yeah. So you and my children are, are going to be eligible for retirement in the, in the 2080s. Right? <laughs> right. So think about that journey between now and 2080. We have no concept of what that's going to look like. Right. right? Absolutely. We, no. No. no concept. So we talk about the future of work, but are we really talking about the future of work or are we talking about, you know, in a couple of years time, mm -hmm. right? When you take the leap into what's the, what's the real future of work look like? We don't know. It's a, it's like a complete unknown. Yeah. You know, when I think about my grandmother and she was born in the twenties, where would, you know, she would never have ever have imagined this right. as as the as the as your work day yeah so I, I think that when we when we talk about how are we how are we making some of those like larger decisions it, it's and you bring inclusion inclusion in there and equity in there and equity is not about fairness or equality equity is about what your person needs what your particular employee needs to grow and flourish and and have the opportunity for equal outcomes and success for everybody else so yeah. for me it's like if 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 you to be successful at your job and to show that you know exactly what you do and that you're adding value to an organization you have to show up because you work on an electrical panel right that's how i know that you're doing your job but somebody else might not necessarily have to do that for for me to know that they are able to do their job and do their role really really well yeah. not the most popular opinion ever expressed but I didn't okay. bring you on here for popular opinions. I really <laughs> opinions. Uh, no, that's, that's true. And it, it is different in every situation. And it's a good point about future of work. I think when we talk about the future of work, we're talking about, usually we're talking about five years from now. We're not talking about 60 years from now because we can't fathom what work will be like 60 years now, because all you have to do is think back to what was it like in 1960, if we were having this conversation about what we would be doing, how we'd be working in 2021, we wouldn't even be able to, to comprehend, you know, the, the work. Well, first of all, doing. you wouldn't be talking uh, about this with me whatsoever, because I'd be at home. Um, <laughs> right. Spitting out children and and with uh, getting dinner ready for you, Andy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We do talk about it over the dinner table. Yeah, yeah. it'd be rare, right? To to have you in this position and lots of people that are in these positions now. And, and it's awesome how the world has changed and we've created, and there's been so much progress. We've created more of an inclusive culture. I wanted to finish by going into a little bit more of a micro level, thinking about the work that you're doing at the Austin airport, where, you know, you just mentioned you've got some workers that have to be at work, right? You yes. have a large workforce there that has to be at the quote unquote office, right? You know, people that are managing operations with the planes, you can't do that stuff from home, right? And all the people that are working in service-based jobs at the airport, how did you, how did the organization approach, you know, keeping people safe, bringing people back and also, you know, kind of respecting different people's wishes in terms of, you know, how they work and vaccines and, and all that stuff. Is it still a work in progress? I think it's always going to be a work in progress at this stage because it's just so it's such a dynamic uh, environment that that we're all living in right now. One of the things about working in an airport is it's an essential infrastructure, so we don't necessarily have the luxury of um, of sending everybody home right to to be safe. Even though there were barely any flights coming in out there for a while, 
uh, we still had to keep the runways open. We still had to keep, you know, we still had to, to keep the parameters secure and see if all of those things still had to happen. So it was a really, really challenging time. And being an essential worker is a very uh, challenging uh, spot to be in whenever everybody else, is, you know, it's, it's stay safe and, and stay home, except for you and your team, because so the question is, well, does my yeah. safety not count? So the, the, the best thing we can do is make sure that they um, have all of their PPE. And this is what we did was make sure that they have all of their personal protective gear, make sure that we're doing everything we, we can to, to keep people who have to be there safe. And also make sure that if you could stay home, that you were keeping people, the, the mindset there was keep, keep the folks that have to be there safe by keeping the folks that don't have to be there away, right? And so that that worked for us. We're slowly moving back into into the office. Things are changing, though. I mean, uh, just the how we how we look at technology, how we look at meetings. We are still conducting a lot of virtual meetings where you know pre-COVID there were none at all. We just didn't do it. So a lot of our practices have have changed to sort of move with a more digital environment. But I will say that that's also opened up. Um, that's also opened up some challenges, right? As we digitalize our, our learning environment and our development environment and just our, our even just our, our one-on-one meetings, we're seeing uh, and the, the increase of a, of a digital divide with people who are not comfortable with, with technology. And so um, that right now is something that I'm also uh, working on with quite a lot of focus is how do we uh, close that digital divide between the airport has a lot of uh, skilled craft workers. So a lot of people out in the field, a lot of HVAC folks, carpenters, electricians, painters, um, folks that take care of the building maintenance facilities. And, and I don't think people realize that about um, airports is that, that that's the majority of the workforce are the folks that are out there every day in, in the weather and all that stuff, making sure that everything is going according to plan and our windows are clean, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And so, so when we move into a digital world, I mean, these are folks that don't ordinarily in their day have the space or time to go in and uh, check an email. And, and some folks don't know how to do that. Right. So again, I'll go back to the 2080. How do we, right, like the, the year 2080, as we're moving this, we're, I think a lot of organizations who have skilled craft folks particularly are going to have to take a look at their, the, their, their labor workforce and think about how they're going to upskill them into a new realm. Because how do we know there's not going to be nano nanobots that are going to go in and clean restrooms at airports? Yeah. And so we don't need somebody with a mop anymore. We need somebody who's going to be able to, um, you know, program the mop. Program, yeah, program <laughs> it, uh, or you know, uh, go in and and fix it. Right. So how do we prepare for that eventuality? Because and and keep the workforce there and and yeah. so that's a lot of front of mind for for me and my group right now is uh preparing the workforce for the future especially in airports which all, which also i mean the dynamic the future of travel yeah who even knows what that could look like oh yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be completely different and with apologies to the skilled workers i do think it's quite reasonable to think that in 2080 most of those jobs will be done by robots including the pilot by the way the planes will be automated so the question is, what will people be doing? Because there will always be new jobs and new things for people to do, which means we need to continue to be open to adapting and learning new skills and trying different things, as you said, upskilling that workforce. So I'm glad you mentioned that. It's something that a lot of people, I think, have top of mind 
or should have top of mind if, if they're not thinking about it already. Michelle, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I know there's so much more we could talk about, but uh, we need to wrap things up. For anybody who wants to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing or, or talk more about these subjects, what's, where's the best place for them to go? Oh, great question. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm under Michelle Loy Torres. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy for people to connect. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking about leadership. I love talking about the future of work. Uh, I love talking about culture and, um, de and developing people and, and really looking to see how uh, organizations can tap into the, uh, the potential and the talent that is sitting right on their doorstep. So love awesome. it. Some of my favorite subjects as well, which is why I was excited to have you come on here. And I know <laughs> there's plenty more we can talk about. So make sure if you if you enjoyed this discussion, reach out, connect with Michelle. If you're not following me on LinkedIn, connect with both of us. Michelle, thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. Brilliant, Andy. Thanks a million. All right, that will do it for my interview with Michelle Lau Torres. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you got some ideas from that, some inspiration for how you can think differently about culture and change and innovation in your own job, in your own company, your own work. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Michelle is a member of our talent development think tank community. She's active and in our regular calls that we have every Wednesday on Zoom. And if you don't have a community that you're speaking with regularly about talent development, We'd love for you to come check out ours. Come join. You can find all the information at tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. And when you sign up, if you use the code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, one word, you will get 10% off for being a podcast listener. So thank you again for listening. I really appreciate you. And I want to let you know that I am always rooting for your success. Also want to let you know that I have a bonus Q&A session with Michelle about her career and some of the biggest challenges and trends in talent development that will be publishing just two days after this one. So stay tuned for my bonus Q&A session with Michelle Lau Torres. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.